from the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. Special edition of the Craig Needles Podcast here on a Wednesday. You find us at classicrock981.com, londonnewstoday.ca, and wherever it is you get your podcasts. And Joining us for this special edition of the Craig Needles podcast is uh, uh, my friend, Dr. Jeff Preston, who, of course, comes on and chats with us about uh, all sorts of different issues from time to time. And uh, there's an issue going on in regards to London Transit that, uh, that I wanted to talk with Jeff about. So, Jeff, thank you so much for doing this. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So you and some other advocates have sent out uh, a letter, a notice that you want to see an AODA compliance audit for London Transit. And this is something that you and I talked about in a podcast back in February. And we had a conversation that, uh, hey, the the booking system is way, way, way behind where it needs to be. It's not even online. There's a whole bunch of other things that just need to be fixed. And you were told and uh, a lot of uh, my colleagues in the media were told that, hey, yeah, this stuff's going to get fixed. And it hasn't been fixed. So now it's time to do the audit. Tell me about the decision-making process and, and why I felt now was the time to say, hey, you've got to do something here. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, I, I think one thing that's really important uh, to set the story up in some ways uh, is that this is not a new problem. Uh, we've been fighting for accessible transit for uh, decades here in London. Uh, since pretty much when I moved to London, uh, I immediately... I was really frustrated by the lack of accessible transit and how my life was now being determined by a system that was not designed to actually get me out, but rather felt more like it was designed to manage me. Um, so we've been fighting this fight for, for quite some time, but more recently, uh, things really sort of escalated in uh, in January and into February when uh, we were hearing these really awful stories, stories of people dialing over a thousand times, trying to book a ride, people not being able to get rides uh, to really important moments in their life, whether it be uh, things like you know, medical appointments, but also uh, to birthdays, to family gatherings, to work. Uh, so we decided it was time to start gathering people together and try to find a solution here. And in, in part of this process, uh, in, in our talks with um, uh, the London Transit Commission, we had identified some things that to us um, seemed to be bordering on problems within the AODA, uh, the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act. Uh, and there were some uh, comments made publicly as well as in, in some staff reports that uh, the London Transit Commission was fully compliant with their obligations under the AODA. So for over the last two months, uh, myself and some other advocates uh, have decided to actually put that to the test. Uh, So we've started going through the obligations under the AODA of the organization and compare that with experiences that we've heard uh, and with things that we've been able to find on their website through public facing uh, part of the organization, uh, as well as in answers that we've received from the organization. And what we have found is, in fact, uh, several violations, pretty clear violations of the AODA, which draws into question um, the most recent compliance report, uh, which stated that the organization is in compliance. So we have this gap now between uh, what the organization thinks it's doing and what we're actually seeing. And um, we feel at this point, uh, it's time for the government to get involved. Um, the Accessibility Directorate was was created as an organization to help uh, organizations to become compliant with the LTC or with the AODA, um, but also uh, to support advocates uh, like us 
in the push for accessibility because when the AODA was first created in 2005, the desire was that disabled people should not be the ones exclusively fighting for accessibility, but actually the Ontario government has a role to play. And one of those roles is uh, through an audit process uh, in which they will go to an organization that appears to be having some trouble complying with the AODA. They'll find out what the barriers or the limits are, what the problems are, uh, and then they'll require an organization to build a work plan to, to fix those problems. Um, and that's really what we're hoping for. We're hoping right now that the Ontario government will step in and will ensure that the LTC is actually moving forward to making their service accessible for everyone. And really, it needs to happen. And the fact that it hasn't happened by now is is frustrating. And look, I get that these things are not issues that can be solved with waving a magic wand or snapping one's fingers. I get that they take time. But from my perspective, and, and, and Jeff, maybe you tell me, I don't see the commission really moving the football down the field at all here, or at the very least, not a lot's changed. That's the vibe I get. Am I right about that? Yeah, the thing that we hear, I've heard many, many times over the past two, uh, 20 years or so, um, is uh, things like we're investigating it, we're looking into it, it's on our work plan. Uh, and every year come and go, and there don't seem to be any changes, or the changes seem to be very incremental, very slow. Uh, and so I, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a ton of fanfare because uh, there was a new system that was purchased, which now allowed people to see their rides online, uh, but not the ability to book rides online. And so there's this question then of, so you move to a new platform, at that point, why would you not have found a platform that allowed for online booking? Um, it, it is just hard to understand. Uh, when they instituted smart cards on the conventional system, why would they have chosen one that apparently cannot be deployed within paratransit buses? Um, it's, it's hard to understand. Uh, and so there's been this history of decisions that have been made as we've moved forward that are difficult to understand and often have meant that disabled people are, as always, left on the outside looking in. Uh, and that's, I think, a really important thing that needs to change at the London Transit Commission is that disabled people need to stop being an afterthought and accessibility issues need to become the forefront of the work that's happening on the, on the LTC. Because if you're not accessible for us, you're not accessible for anybody. Yeah. And I, I feel that, and I want to be a full disclosure here. I asked to see if we could get comment or maybe even appearance on this podcast from Kelly Polechny, who's the general manager on the transit commission. I haven't heard back. Um, and that it's, and I'm saying that just after three o'clock here on, on Wednesday, I haven't heard back on that. So uh, maybe that changes. And if it does, I'll, uh, I'll add it to the story or whatever it happens to be. But I feel as though whenever we've asked about this, We've been told, oh yeah, no, it's 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 fine. We're compliant. But as you and 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 the the folks that you wrote this letter with and and have put put all this forward with have, have pointed out, there are some very specific acts, uh, portions of the act that uh, that appear to be violations here pretty clearly. Yeah, I think I think there are there are things that we have found that uh, may be up for debate, uh, depending on how you interpret the the legislation. But there are a lot of things that are just not up for debate. So, you know, one of the requirements of the AODA is that organizations must share their compliance report publicly uh, every year. So after they submit the report to the ministry, they then need to share it online. 
the London Transit Commission was not doing that until we asked to see the report. Uh, and even at that point, uh, we actually had to go to the directorate uh, to get the report sent to the Transit Commission who then gave it back to us. It is now on their website, which is great, but they were in violation until we asked. Uh, the, the standard clearly states that any payment method that's available on conventional transit must be available on paratransit. Um, you can jump on a bus with a smart card and you can pay for a single ride by tapping your little card. You are not able to do that on paratransit. Um, again, to me, that's a, that's a clear violation. Yeah, I I think so too. Like, like it's, it's simple. Like the fact that the booking system is all via phone and you can't do it from your computer or there's no app from your phone. Like that's not even expensive to do. Like that should be pretty easy. Yeah, I mean, th these are these are things that you don't need to invent uh, yourself. Uh, oh, no, I'm sure other places do it. Yeah, that that will do this. Uh, that that have this opportunity. And in fact, as we've heard. Uh, in statements from uh, from City Hall, uh, there is supposed to be an online booking app coming, but it's for a conventional service to innovation park, not for paratransit. So this is something that is actually being investigated, but again, paratransit is going to be the last one to receive it. And that's exactly what the AODA says is not supposed to be what happens. Uh, that paratransit is not supposed to be a service that's seen as uh, an addendum or an addition to a complement. It is supposed to be, the para means parallel. Uh, it is a service that's supposed to run parallel to your conventional service. Uh, and uh, there are just so many instances in which uh, the way that paratransit functions does not align with the experience you find on conventional services. So this is a big job as far as fixing this goes. Not not getting an online booking service. That, that That's not that big a job. Uh, but as far as fixing this goes, it's a, it's, a, it's a big job. It's going to take some costs. And obviously, there are cost pressures on London Transit. So what do you want to see happen uh, aside from the audit? What do you want to see them change as far as the way London Transit operates? Yeah, so I, I think at the, at, the, at the absolute bare minimum, uh, the AODA accessibility standards are intended to be a bare minimum. Um, organizations are not just supposed to meet them, they're actually supposed to exceed them. That's the ideal. But the idea was with the standards is, let's draw a line. This is, this is the lowest bar you must be able to jump over uh, in the competition of life. Um, so I think at minimum, this organization must be compliant with the AODA. They are required to under the legislation. And if they intentionally remain out of compliance, there could be massive fines that are levied by the Ontario government that is a part of the AODA. So there's actually some like risk here. So that needs to be done, absolutely. But beyond that, I think that there needs to be a fundamental change in the way that we imagine disabled people as a part of the London Transit Commission. Uh, I think that there was a good step made by the commission uh, at a recent meeting where they've asked City Hall to potentially include or to add a paratransit rider as a commissioner. I think that's a really good first step. Um, I'm glad that they're doing it now in 2023, um, probably something that could have been done uh, quite a while ago, uh, but a good first step. But I think that organizationally, it always has felt to me that paratransit was always the last thing on the docket. It was always the last consideration, the last thing that was thought about. Um, I think ultimately what I would really like to see is for transit commission to put disability at the forefront 
of what they're doing. That accessibility should be the priority and the focus right now because this is a massive problem. And if we are going to be making significant changes to our transit system over the next few years, uh, it would be absolutely devastating to see those changes made and for them to not just perpetuate, but to build new barriers for disabled people. Um, you know, not only would it break my heart, uh, it also might make me pull all of my hair out uh, because it is, it is hard to bear, I think, um, as a disabled person to watch money being spent in this day and age to be spent on things that will deny me um, right to access. Uh, to be spent on building things that I will be able to be a part of. Um, that is just, it's, it's hard to put into words what that feels like, um, to see the world being built around you, to have people say, we need this, we need help, uh, and for the building to continue um, without any real care or interest in trying to support us and to invite us in. Um, you know, one of the people that we've spoken to, uh, paratransit rider, uh, the way that they articulated it is that, um, you know, it's hard to feel like a citizen when uh, you are constantly being told that your needs are too difficult, that they're too much, that it's uh, impossible to do. Um, you know, that's not the London that I want to live in. I don't think that's the London most Londoners want to live in. And I would certainly hope that the London Transit Commission is taking some time over the next few weeks to look internally and say, maybe we have a problem. And maybe that problem is called ableism. Uh, well, it's a well-known fact that uh, people with disabilities are able to opt out of property taxes because they can't use the services they fund, right? Oh, wait, is that true? <laughs> Sorry, I, I may, I, that may not be... <laughs> That may not be accurate. I think they still have to pay their property taxes on their rent or whatever it is. Uh, Unfortunately, although the mayor is more than welcome to come in and offer me back a rebate. Yeah, that's uh, true. At any moment, Josh, if, if you're uh, listening, Jeff could use his property taxes as a refund. Just, you know, I'll, yeah. yeah. I, will, I will give it directly to making transit more accessible. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, that actually might be the way we have to do this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just annoyed. I, I'm annoyed. That, and, and look, Jeff, you and I have been talking about this that, hey, wait a minute, paratransit is not serving the people of this community properly. Uh, that This didn't just come up in the last couple of weeks. This has been years and years and years of this conversation. And yet, not a whole lot has changed. So it, it's, it's got to be frustrating. It's frustrating for me. I'm sure it's frustrating as hell for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're sitting here in 2023 and I'm reflecting that back on, you know, 15 years, it was 15 years ago uh, in May that I took my electric wheelchair and I drove it from London to Ottawa to try to raise awareness about the lack of transit, not just here in London, but uh, across the province for people with disabilities. And when you think about the conditions of paratransit right now and some of the structural problems of paratransit right now, um, you could take clips of me from 2008 and play them again right now, uh, and they would still work. <laughs> Those would still be accurate statements. Uh, and um, yeah, that's brutal. Uh, it's absolutely brutal. I think particularly when you look at other municipalities and you see them, A, acknowledging that there's a problem, B, acknowledging that it's a big, difficult problem, but C, um, working incrementally day by day, week by week, year by year, uh, to try to do something different, to try to make things a little bit better. Um, I mean, it's it's a small example, but um, you know, if you've ever been to Toronto and you've gone to Union Station, uh, there was an elevator in Union Station that 
um, was often broken. Uh, so I'd get to the Union Station, I wouldn't be able to get on the subway because the, the elevator was broken. Uh, and right before COVID, uh, there was some big renovations at Union. And uh, one of the things that they did was they removed one of the elevators and replaced it with a large ramp. Uh, it's a huge ramp, uh, very complicated to build. But now uh, the, the elevator that was always broken has been replaced by a ramp that, that essentially can't break. Um, that is a step forward. Um, I mean, the TTC is not perfect, but uh, this is an example of they heard people complaining and saying this elevator is always broken and they built in a plan when they did renovations to try to resolve it. Um, there is progress happening in other communities. Uh, we have not seen very much progress in paratransit in the last decade. No, no, we have not seen that. And it would be real cool if we could, but sadly not the case. So once, let's, let's just say this audit with AODA goes forward and the folks who are doing the audit find similar violations to the ones that you've already talked about and maybe even some more stuff going on behind the scenes, which as you said in your, uh, in, in your news release when you're talking about this, there may be some stuff going on behind the scenes because of all the things that are happening public facing, you would assume there might be some trouble that, are, that, that, that we can't see. Um, yeah. What happens if the AODA folks find that, yeah, the LCC is in violation of this, 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 and this? What, what happens next when that occurs? Yeah, so that, that's where things get maybe a little bit grayer uh, and, and a little bit into uncharted waters. Uh, so at the end of the audit, um, my understanding is that the way this process is supposed to work uh, is that once the problems are identified, uh, the organization then needs to basically put forward a plan on how they're going to fix it. Um, so they need to have timelines. They need to say, this is these are the problems we're going to tackle. This is when it's going to be fixed by. Here's a long-term plan. This is what we're going to do to make it happen. Um, so that they're able to prioritize uh, things that are easy, things that are simple or quick to do uh, versus things that are maybe a little bit harder, or a little bit out of hand or possibly really expensive. Uh, that is something that maybe you need to save up a little bit for. Um, but the idea is that the, the director will work with the organization to develop this plan, um, which is then submitted to the directorate. Uh, and it's something that they would then be checked up on in their subsequent compliance reports that they submit every year to say, how are you doing? Are you making progress? Are you getting there? Now, if that doesn't go well, um, and if the organization remains in a state of non-compliance, um, there is, of course, a ways to compel organizations. Um, and one of those ways uh, with the, under the AODA uh, is that organizations that are non-compliant can be subject to fines. Uh, and those fines are, are scalable. Um, they can go up to a very high number. Uh, and uh, they are often billed out as per day of non-compliance. Uh, and so if you look at things like the smart card reader, um, LTC has been in non-compliance since 2019. Uh, so there's a lot of days there. Um, this is very rare. It does not happen often. Um, I think you could probably count on one hand the number of times it actually has gone to um, to fines, but it is a part of the AODA. So there actually is risk here uh, for the organization to not comply uh, and to not move forward with this. Um, but I think that there's also a moral imperative here. Um, at the end of the day, the AODA is a, is a roadmap on how to become accessible. Um, it's a roadmap that, in my opinion, they're not following, uh, or at least not following as well as they could. But I think that there's also then an imperative here or a question mark here at City Hall. Um, what, uh, what obligation does City Hall have to play or what obligation do they have 
uh, as the LTC is an organization that's been created essentially by them. Um, the minute or the city hall obviously must be in compliance with AODA, and uh, I would imagine that they probably, or I hope, uh, would be pretty unhappy that something that they've created uh, is not complying with this legislation. And so I think that the ministry is not the only venue here. Uh, I would really call on city. I would call. I'm calling on city hall right now. I'm calling again, Josh. So two things. Number one uh, is this this nice tax rebate, which I'll direct right to the LTC. And and number two, um, I think that the mayor's office and the councilors need to actually take a look at this. I'd love for I'd love to talk to them about this. And I think that they need to start asking some very serious questions about the uh, the compliance of the AODA um, and some of the statements that have been made. I mean, the commission has stated that they are in compliance. That's not the case. Um, and uh, I, I think City Hall should be asking some questions about um, what's happening in the middle there. Uh, question for you, Jeff, and maybe you haven't thought too much about this angle of it, but uh, on this podcast a few times, uh, Cheryl Miller has said that London Transit Commission should be brought in-house and should uh, no longer be a separate board or commission, but the board and commission should be elected members of London City Council and that London Transit members, people that work there, should be employees of the City of London as opposed to being employees of the London Transit Commission. Do you think that is an idea that makes sense as far as accessibility goes? Would that improve the situation possibly? And have you thought much about that? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. And uh, and I always hate it when you try to uh, to make me agree with Cheryl Miller. Uh, yeah, it's a dangerous, <laughs> it's a dangerous thing uh, to agree with Cheryl Miller uh, sometimes. But, um, uh, you know, I, I, I think if you ask me this question um, completely outside the bubble of, of what's happening at this exact moment, um, I don't know that I would have uh, a strong inclination one way or the other. Uh, I think that there may be some benefits to having uh, arm's length uh, from city council, but at the same time, uh, what I've seen through the last couple months here is really a question of accountability. And I will say that uh, city councillors are certainly held uh, accountable in a way to their electorate. Uh, every four years, they get they get a big accountability check. Uh, and so, um, you know, the more that I see this and the more that I see how City Hall is changing the way that they think about accessibility and some of the programs that are being run by their accessibility uh, coordinator folks uh, at City Hall, um, they seem to actually be moving in the right direction uh, at City Hall in the way that they're thinking about inclusivity uh, and accommodations for people with disabilities in the city. Um, Maybe this is the time. Um, I mean, if the commission is not able to do this, if they don't have the capacity to make this work, um, then, you know, maybe it's time for them to get out of the way. Yeah. Like if if you can't, you know, do the very, very base thing, which is comply with provincial standards for accessibility. If you can't handle that on your own, someone's got to come in to help. Right. Like if, if you can't do that, then you're obviously not fit to run the commission. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, this is this this question of, of accountability, I think, uh, and capacity is is a big one. Um, and for somebody who's kind of sitting on the outside, um, it's it's not one that I don't I don't think it's one that I can necessarily answer, uh, even if I have some personal opinions. But I think it is a question uh, that City Hall is rapidly approaching the point where they might not have a choice in whether or not they answer that question. 
Well, it would, hear. yeah, yeah I, I'm interested to hear too. It'd be a, it'd be a big change. It would uh, take a significant undertaking, but I, I think there's, there's at least should be some space for a conversation surrounding it. And I think that this is as good a jumping off point as any, which is, hey, you're not doing what we need you to be doing here. Uh, Jeff, before we wrap up, uh, this, there's been some, obviously some negative talk about sort of the way this has gone down and the way that things are currently set up in the city when it comes to, when it comes to ableism, when it comes to accessibility, uh, are there any bright lights anywhere? Is there anything that you say, okay, we've had some negative times here, but I, but I, but I'm liking where this is going. I'm liking where that is going. What, what are the positives that may be going on here? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I. I say that I am a, I believe myself to be uh, an internal optimist. Um, for some reason, people always say they think I'm a pessimist. Uh, maybe it's because I complain a lot, I'm not sure. Uh, but I do think that there's reason for optimism here. Um, I think that this is, uh, this might look like a very bad news story. And I think there are definitely elements of this that are, uh, that are bad, uh, that are at least worrisome. Um, but at the same time, um, the whole design of this audit process is really intended to be one of rejuvenation. Uh, it really is intended to be an opportunity for organizations to better understand what their obligations are uh, and to work with an expert, uh, in this case, the, the ministry, the directorate, uh, to get advice and support on how to do better and how to actually to recover from something like this. Um, and I've heard some really good things about organizations that have gone through the audit process where, uh, you know, I've, I've heard from them directly that they've said things like, wow, it just actually made us think really differently about our organization and we understand better what we were supposed to be doing. Um, and it was a lot of work, but it was really beneficial in the end. Uh, it made us better as an organization. Um, so I think if, if you look at some of the things that are happening at City Hall right now, I think that is some reason for optimism. I think the other reason for optimism too, it's something that I've experienced like so many times. Uh, and I think it's something that we take for granted is London as a community. I mean, we might be this very weird like little city um, in the middle of nowhere in Southwestern Ontario. Um, and we might have all these reputations, right? There's all these sort of reputations of what London is like. Um, my experience of London has always been um, a city that is perhaps at times quiet, but is always deeply concerned uh, about your fellow neighbor, um, deeply concerned about the people that are living around us and wanting people around us to be okay. Uh, and that might not always translate in, in big picture political moments, but I will say that in my experience in this small time that I've been in London, 20 years, uh, I have always felt that Londoners have had my back. Uh, especially when I needed it the most. And I don't think I'm the only Londoner that feels that way. And as the story has been evolving and as we've been continuing to advocate for improved transit, the number of people uh, that have reached out, uh, people that have found me on social media, the people that have emailed me, the people that have phoned my office at work and left me messages, either um, A, asking for help, uh, B, wanting to help, or C, just encouraging me to continue because it's so necessary. You know, the stories that I've been hearing, um, the the support that I've been getting, uh, you know, we had over 60 people that agreed to have their name put on our note that was sent to the, to the directorate. And that was only over a couple of days. Um, and we're getting more, even this afternoon, uh, people that are saying, we're on board, we're here, we wanna see this be fixed. Um, to me, that's actually a really, that's a sign of a healthy community. Uh, that's a sign of a city that is coming out of COVID uh, and is starting to rebuild. 
uh, in some ways. And so I think that the, the optimism here, something that I always go back to is there are some genuinely incredible people that live in this city. There are some genuinely compassionate people that live in this city. And I think all of us want what's best for our neighbor. And um, yeah, that's what makes it worth it. It's what makes it uh, easier, I think, to get up and to fight some of these really tough battles uh, is because you know that there are people that are going to benefit from it. But even more than that, um, you know that there are people out there that see the problem as well uh, and support you through it. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I think that's a uniquely London thing. Uh, not going to find that in Kitchener. Uh, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> tell tell all my Kitchener listeners and my Waterloo listeners. I gotta, I gotta get a Kitchener jam in there every time I can. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they deserve it. They deserve it. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that it's time for us to step up here. It's time for us to figure this out because I'm sick of it continuing to be ongoing. And and I know that some people might see this as a drastic step as you sort of blowing the whistle here and saying to the government, "Hey, take a look at this." But nothing else has worked, so. This was the next step, right? Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think it's it's the support piece here, right? Mm -hmm. This is an opportunity to get to get help, and uh, this letter and everyone I've talked to have all said the same thing: we need help. The disabled population in London right now needs help. Yeah, I would uh, think that's absolutely the case. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for this. Always good to chat with you, and uh, glad that we could spend a couple minutes talking today. Absolutely. Onward and upward. That's uh, Dr. Jeff Preston, who, of course, with uh, King's University College, Disability Studies professor there, and uh, joining us here on the Craig Needles podcast, which you can find uh, usually Tuesdays and Fridays, but it'll give got you a little bonus episode this week. Uh, you can find us at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca, and on your favorite podcast app. The Craig Needles podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.